Good greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Having established in our last broadcast that the dead do indeed arise, that is, there's a resurrection of the dead, we want to proceed in this broadcast to discuss one of two kinds of resurrection. There are two kinds of resurrection. The first one is temporary and the second is permanent. Now, when a person dies and is raised back to life on this side of life, it is temporary. It is temporary because that person will eventually die and live this life and be raised up on the other side of life, that is on the side of eternity, at which point that resurrection becomes permanent. So in this broadcast, we shall be discussing temporary resurrection. In the next broadcast, we shall be discussing permanent resurrection. Now, there are basically two types of temporary resurrection. The first is physical and the second is spiritual. Physical resurrection, the temporary sort, is what happens when somebody dies and is raised back to life. That is, he dies physically and is raised back to life. His spirit and his soul leave the body and then is raised back to life through the prayers of people and, of course, the miraculous intervention of God. Now, this particular resurrection can be mistaken for resuscitation. So we must make a special note. That resuscitation is about somebody who fainted or collapsed. His spirit is intact and his soul is intact. There is still pause in his body. You know that there is life in this body. He is not dead and he's resuscitated. Maybe they pour water, they give him mouth to mouth, they give him the shock treatment and so many other things and he's brought back to life. That is resuscitation. That's not resurrection. Physical resurrection is a case in which the man dies, is certified dead. His spirit and his soul has left the body. And through divine intervention, there's a prayer. And of course, the miracle of God, the fellow is brought back to life. The first recorded account of physical resurrection in scripture is in First Kings chapter 17, from verse 17 to verse 24. That's the story where Elijah went to stay with a widow in Zarephath. And in the course of his stay there, during a famine, uh, they were fed. But the only child of this widow died. And Elijah took the child into his room, placed the child on his bed, prayed, and the child was raised back to life. The second recorded resurrection is in Second Kings chapter 4. And that's the story of the son of the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman was a wealthy woman, a bit advanced in age as at that time, and Elisha prophesied that she was going to have a child. Then this child was born, and this child began to grow. Then one day the child comes home and says, Oh, my head, my head, before they knew what was happening, the child was dead. The woman places the child in the room where Elisha used to come and stay, on his bed there, and goes off to fetch him. Elisha comes and prays over the child and brings this boy back to life. The third resurrection that we encounter again in the Old Testament is a very interesting one. So I'd like to read from 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 20 to 21. Then Elisha died, and they buried him, and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was, as they were burying a man, that suddenly they spied a band of raiders, and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. That's a very strange one. 
because the man had died and they were going to bury him. Then they spotted a band of raiding Moabites coming towards them. So they quickly tossed the remains inside the tomb of Elisha. Elisha died. As the man's body touched the bones of Elisha, the man raised up, stood on his feet. He was alive. In the New Testament, we have Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter was ill and Jairus had to come to the Lord to ask him to come and heal his daughter. On the way, the woman with the issue of blood touched him without permission and she was healed. And the Lord knew that something had happened and in trying to find out who had done this, the girl meanwhile had died. So they sent people to Jairus and they told Jairus, don't trouble the master, your daughter is dead. Upon hearing that, the Lord Jesus Christ turned to Jairus and said, do not be afraid, only believe. And then the Lord continued and followed Jairus to his house. He puts everybody out, comes in with his disciples and Jairus and the wife and knelt beside the girl, held her hand and said, arise. And the little girl arose and he handed her over to the parent. The next one that is recorded is the raising of the son of the widow of Nain. Let me read that. Luke chapter 7 from verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. So here we have a classical case of a young man who had died and was being taken to be buried. And the Lord touched the pole and spoke to the corpse, and the corpse arose, and the boy was brought to the mother. The greatest of all was the raising of Lazarus back to life. This is because Lazarus had died and had been buried for four days. So if, for example, we doubted the son of the widow of Zarephath, we doubted the son of the Shunammite woman, we doubted whether the man they were going to bury, whose bones touched Elisha's bones, had actually died, or we doubted if Jairus' daughter was really dead, or the son of the widow of Nain was really dead. In this particular case, there was no other thing to say but that the fellow died. And that's in John chapter 11. I'm not going to read the whole of John chapter 11. I'm just going to read a little portion there. Let me read from verse 38. This was when Jesus Christ got to the tomb of Lazarus. Then Jesus again, groaning himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time, there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Anybody who knows anything about dead bodies, by the fourth day, the composition is taking place. Organs are all rotten away. Maggots are all over the place. There is a stench. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes. And said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, 
I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. In verse 1, they had sent for the Lord Jesus that Lazarus was sick and that he should come and heal him. But he didn't go. He stayed back and allowed for this to go back. And eventually he told his disciples, let's go and wake Lazarus up. If he's awake, if he's sleeping, then he will wake up. Now, why are we going to do that? Because they were trying to avoid the Jews who were looking for them to kill them. And the Lord said, well, I want you to know that Lazarus is dead, but we are going to raise him up. And that's because the father had made it clear to him that don't worry, Lazarus is not going to die. But here we find him dead. And so his prayer showed that he trusted the father. He said, I thank you that you have heard me already. But it's because of this people that I'm saying what I'm saying. Now in verse 43, it says, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He didn't touch anything, didn't lay hands on it. Just Lazarus, come forth. He gave the command. In verse 44, it says, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Lose him and let him go. This is a very important thing because when Lazarus came forth, he was bound. In those days, when they want to bury somebody, they actually wrap the cloth around the person so tightly, like a bandage, around the remains. So when Lazarus came out, Lazarus was hand and foot all bound. What was it that brought Lazarus out? It was the voice of the Lord. It was the command of God that brought him out. Even his face was covered with a handkerchief. So the Lord had to tell them, lose him and let him go. So they had to go and unwrap Lazarus to let him go. That is another example of physical resurrection of the dead back to life on this side of life. In Acts chapter 9, 36 to 41, here is another case concerning the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, specifically in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 41, had been visiting a particular town close by the town of Joppa. In Joppa, a lady had died. Her name was Dorcas. And they had bathed her, preparing her for burial when it was heard that Peter was in a nearby town. So they sent for Peter to come. And when Peter got there, he met a group of people who were mourning and showing off the things that Dorcas had given to them. She was obviously a philanthropic woman. Peter goes in and prays to the Lord for her to be brought back. And he spoke to said, woman, arise. And she arose and was raised back to life, handed back to the people. Again, this is a physical issue because the person is brought back to this side of life. Then there's the one of Eutychus in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 10. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 to 10. Eutychus was one of the disciples and Paul had been preaching a rather lengthy sermon. And Eutychus was probably sitting on maybe the third tier, like a gallery of the hall. And in the course of this long sermon, Eutychus fell asleep and fell from that hand and died. Paul then goes there, embraces him, and he brings him back to life. Eutychus is raised back to life. We've seen cases where people died and they were raised back to life. This supports the discussion that we had last week where we queried whether dead people actually rise. And it is clear that the dead do rise. These are examples. Now let's move to spiritual resurrection, which is of a temporary kind. Now this is where a person is raised to spiritual life who had been spiritually dead. Let me read verses of scripture so that we can explain this further. The person is spiritually dead and is brought back to life spiritually. As we read, I'll explain to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So this person was a sinner. When you are a sinner, you are dead in trespasses and sins. Why? 
because you will do things that one who is spiritually alive will see and cringe and say, wow, how can somebody do such a thing? But the person will do it and will find pleasure and joy in doing it. Such a person is said to be spiritually dead. He is dead in trespasses and sins. In verse 3 says, in which you once walked, talking about the Gentile Christians, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the source of disobedience. When the spirit of Satan or the flesh is operating in a man's life, he will sin and not bat an eyelid. He doesn't even think he has done anything wrong. People commit murder without thinking that they've done anything wrong. They rape people and as far as they're concerned, they're having fun. It's okay. They get drunk, get into drugs and all kinds of things and they think it's normal. Politicians steal money and as far as they're concerned, it's normal. Why? That's because they are spiritually dead. Nothing moves them. Nothing touches them. Nothing shows to them that there's life, spiritual life in them. That is, they are cut off from God. In verse 3 says, Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts or the desires of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here is speaking of spiritual resurrection, what we call being born again. To be born again is to be spiritually raised up because before a person becomes born again, he is dead. He's dead in sin and trespass. He's covered in it. And as far as he's concerned, he's living a normal life. Nothing moves him. He's not shaken. He's not perturbed by anything that is sin. His mind is dead to sin. He is a habitual sinner. He would do things that one would consider debasing, despicable, degrading and he won't flinch not one bit because he is steep in sin he commits sin and will call it pleasure let me read ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 to 19 it says this i say therefore and testify in the lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god when a person is alienated from the life of God, that person is dead because it is only in God that there is life. Outside of God is death. It's only in God that you have light. Outside of God is darkness. It's only in God that we know what is truly sin and what is not. So he says being alienated from the life of God, that means there's no life of God in them. They are dead because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The reason why homosexuality can be considered a normal way of life is because the people who practice these things are dead in sin. The reason why fornication, adultery, and those kind of sexual acts can be considered to be normal is because the practitioners are dead in sin. The reason why a person can be indecently dressed in public, exposing body parts that should have been kept 
within clothing is because that person is spiritually dead. He doesn't know that what he's doing is wrong. There's no sense of it in him. He or she is dead spiritually. Let me give you an example. When a child is born and is a baby, you see little children, two, three, they just run around naked, jumping all over the place. Whether they are visitors or not, doesn't mean anything to them. The children are dead to those kind of things. But as they begin to grow, they begin to realize that, wait a minute, these parts of the body should not be exposed. And so you see them wanting to take a bath in a bathroom away from everybody. They have become alive consciously to knowing that those parts of the body should not be exposed. So when we now see adults who should know better doing worse things than that, then you know that you are seeing somebody who is spiritually dead. There is no life in that person, no understanding. Their past feeling haven't given themselves over to lewdness, to work all on cleanness with greediness. So that is the life of one who is spiritually dead. He will commit sin and he will not bat an eyelid. Nothing will move that person. He will do whatever it is that they want to do and nothing will change him. Let's read First John chapter 3 from verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. In fact, the word sinner is not just a noun describing somebody who commits sin, but it's a verb describing the act of sin. Is a sinner. So a sinner is one who commits sin habitually. It doesn't mean anything to him. He cannot do what is right. Bible says he is somebody who commits lawlessness, who acts contrary to the law. I'm not just talking of the law of God, but even the law of man. Which law ought to keep people sane in a society? Verse 5. And you know that he, that is Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So what he's saying is that for you to be considered a sinner, you have not known Christ. You may say that you are born again, but the truth of the matter is that if you can commit sin, you have not known Christ. There's no normal, rational human being that would sit down in a place filled with feces and say that is normal and be rolling in it. You can't do that. The fellow must be demented. It is a madman that goes into people's garbage bin to pick things to eat. I know that hunger can drive people to do some things, but even a hungry man will check what he's eating. A madman does not check it. So there is something that we must understand here about sin and the people who participate in it. They are spiritually dead. The Bible says in verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, that is Jesus, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Bible does not equivocate on this matter. It tells us clearly this is what it is. We may be wanting to give reasons and excuses, but the Bible does not. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So if Jesus manifests in my life, and the works of Satan are destroyed in my life, why then would I commit sin? I can't. Verse 9 says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Note that does not sin. For his seed remains in him. The seed of God is in him. The DNA of God is in him. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Does it mean that somebody who is born of God will not sin? He may, but he cannot do it knowingly. He cannot do it willingly. It's like somebody who accidentally steps on feces. He cannot see physics and go on his own and put his feet in there and be playing. He accidentally stepped on it. The next thing he's going to do is how to get rid of it from his shoes. 
If a believer, one who has been born again, one who has been made spiritually alive, should accidentally fall into sin, the first thing that person is looking for is how to get rid of sin from his life. He is alive to the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is there telling that what you have done is wrong. Even if he didn't know, he knows that in his heart, in his conscience, the Spirit of God is telling him what you have done is wrong. For example, you may have insulted somebody and you may have thought the man deserved the insult. Then the Holy Spirit says to you, go back and apologize because you have done what is wrong. You cannot be defending it. The Holy Spirit is there to let you know that this thing is wrong. And so you go quickly and repent. That is why he says, you cannot knowingly sin. It must be that something happened. And because of that, the Spirit of God is there to correct us and tell us this is wrong. God cannot sin. God does not sin. God is without sin. Christ had no sin in him. So if the DNA of a sinless God is in you, then sin cannot be acceptable to you. Sin cannot be defended by you. When a person claims to be born again and is living in sin, something is wrong somewhere. We'll talk about that very briefly. As we get to the end, and we're getting closer to the end. Let me read verse 9 again. It says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed, that is the seed of God, the DNA of God, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So it's important for us to understand that when a man is living a sinful life and is not aware that what he's doing is sin, he is spiritually dead. But when by the action of God upon his life, he awakens, then we say he is spiritually resurrected. It is this spiritual resurrection, when it takes place, we say he is now a new man. He is now a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things. Everything is new. His purpose in life is new. His desires in life are new. Everything is new. The old way is gone. His old ambitions gone. Everything gone. He's a new creation. In Romans chapter 6 verse 4, the Bible tells us that he's coming to a newness of life. He says, therefore, we were buried with Christ through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we have a new way of walking. And in this new life, everything is about Christ. When spiritual resurrection takes place, what happens is that the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ comes into that person. And so that spirit in him is what gives him life. And the life that he now has is the life of Christ. The life that he had before was the life of Satan or the life of the flesh. The life that loved to sin. That life that loves to sin is a cohort of Satan. That's why we say he has the life of Satan because they have good relationship. However, when this person has now come to Christ, he's a new man, a new creation, created anew. He has a new life. As a result of this new life, he lives with a new attitude towards things. In Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 20, I read up to verse 19 earlier. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man, the old nature in us, keeps growing bad. It can never get better. It gets worse. 
in verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a renewal taking place. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. If you don't put off the old man, the new man cannot be put on. That is, you must put off the body of sin. That dead body of sin must be removed. If it's not removed, then you cannot be putting on the new man. Verse 25 now says, Therefore, putting away line, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give him who has need. You can read further on your own. What he's saying is that when this life has come in, you have a new attitude towards things. You can no longer steal. You can no longer tell lies. And even when you get angry, you are not supposed to sin. You are not supposed to do anything that is contrary to the word of God. He talks about our speech. He says our speech has to be edifying. You cannot be abusing people and say that you have that life. So when this new life, when spiritual resurrection takes place, you have a new attitude. And then more importantly, you are now obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new master who you obey. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, don't you know that whosoever you yield yourself to obey, that person is your master. So if you continue to obey Satan, then Satan is your master. But if you now yield and you obey the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord Jesus Christ is your master. So when spiritual resurrection has taken place, the man recognizes that he has a new master. And that new master is the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, He, that is Christ, died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The person who is spiritually alive now knows that I am living for Christ. He no longer lives for himself. He no longer has his own ambitions. His desire is now the desire of Christ. Whatever the Lord wants, that's what he does. And finally, when this new life takes place in a person, he has a new purpose in life. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, the Bible says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Your purpose is now what is happening in heaven. What does heaven want me to do? It says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we have a new life, a new purpose, a new attitude, a new goal. A new desire, a new will. Our will is now the will of God. We've thrown our will away. That is spiritual resurrection. Now, this can be confused with revival. But remember what we said about revival. Revival is about someone who was inactive and has been brought back to active life. In the case of spiritual resurrection, the fellow was spiritually dead. When somebody, for example, had been raised up spiritually, that he's born again, but he has backslidden so that the things that he used to do, which he considered after being born again to be bad, is now going back to doing them. Then we say that that person has backslidden. He has slidden back to the life that he was brought back from. At that point in time, when we pray for him to be brought back, that is a revival. Spiritual resurrection is for people who have never been born again. The Bible uses the term, quickened in the old King James. He says they've been quickened by the Spirit of God. It's like they were dead and then you connected a life supply and that quickened them and brought them back to life. In the case of a revival, the fellow had gone back 
and by revival you are reviving him back to live the life that he should have been living he once lived it but it discontinued he was inactive now you have revived him and is active that is about spiritual resurrection so to recap as we close there are two kinds of resurrection of the dead there's a temporary resurrection of the dead and there's a permanent resurrection of the dead permanent one we shall discuss in our next podcast the temporary resurrection is of two types physical resurrection and spiritual resurrection physical resurrection is of somebody who died physically his spirit and soul left him leaving the body the remains and what now happens is that through prayer and divine intervention the spirit is brought back into the life and the man is raised back on this side of life blood is flowing through him and everything he's alive again that is physical resurrection and it's temporary because that person will die again and this time around when he is raised up on the other side of life it's the side of eternity he is no longer in this world he's out of this world when he's raised so the physical resurrection takes place only in this world it doesn't take place outside of this world only in this world then there's spiritual resurrection spiritual resurrection is being born again is about somebody who was a sinner but through the word of god is convinced that he's a sinner and that he needs a savior and now comes to the lord jesus christ that person is spiritually resurrected it is to be distinguished from revival revival is the case of someone who had been born again but had slidden back to live a life of sin sometimes the backsliding of one who was born again may not be that he's living in sin but that he is not actively engaged in the service of god he is dormant and so he is revived so let's not confuse the two Physical resurrection is not the same thing as resuscitation. Resuscitation takes place where the person did not actually die. He fainted or collapsed. The spirit and soul cannot be said to have left the body. Medically speaking, he was not dead. Somebody in a coma is not dead. He can be resuscitated. But when that person's spirit and soul has left, medically speaking, they tell you that this man is dead. They tie the feet together, they wrap a cloth around him, they tie everything together preparing him to be buried to take to the mortuary and so on and so forth if that person is brought back to life then that is physical resurrection by the grace of god next week we shall discuss permanent resurrection my prayer is that with the little that we've looked at we are able to affirm empirically this from scripture that the dead do rise and that there are two kinds of dead there's a physical dead and there's a spiritual dead you are spiritually dead if you commit sin and you don't think there's anything wrong with it. You do all kinds of crazy things and as far as you're concerned, it's normal. But the day that you encounter the word of God and you start looking at yourself and say, this, why did I do this thing? So when you become born again, one of the crucial things is you are going to hate sin. You will suddenly see that sin is bad. That's when you know that you are spiritually alive. But if you can still tolerate sin, and you can still regard sin as something, then you are not yet spiritually alive. You are spiritually dead. When a person is spiritually alive, the things that he did before, he wants to run away from them. He doesn't want anything to, he doesn't want to be associated with them. He doesn't want to talk about it. I see some people, when they speak about their life of sin, they speak about it with glee. You know that that person is still not spiritually alive. If he were spiritually alive, he doesn't even want to be associated with it. And when he does say it, you can see the disdain and the distancing he wants to distance himself from such an act. But he knows that I did it. It's just that those were days of ignorance, days of darkness, days when I had no life of God 
in me. So you cannot have the life of God in you and sin. By the grace of God, my prayer is that the Almighty God will help you. If you are still spiritually dead, that God will touch you in a way that will bring you to life. And having come to life, you will know and detest sin firsthand. You cannot tolerate it, no matter what anybody says. You would love the sinner, but not the sin. So it doesn't mean that you are going to go and hate sinners. No, you will love the sinner, but not the sin that is committed. Until next week, God bless you.